You're listening to the Moms Unscripted Podcast. I would love for you to stand next to me, but you cannot lick my arm. So, you are an overachiever in your sex life. I mean, life. I could teach a class on it. Well, and really, I just deflect. If there's man topics, I'm like, yeah, that's not what we do here. On today's episode, we talk with Heather Avis, a mom of three and an advocate for shifting the narrative around Down syndrome. Her journey and her perspective totally shook our team, and we cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. But first, we, as we were preparing for this episode, Matt brought up a really interesting observation that we wanted to talk about before you hear from Heather. And so Matt, will you share what you learned recently? So we're relatively new to our church. We've only been there for a year and we are having a lot of conversations. And in a conversation that I was having with um, another dad there, he had told me that his wife bears a lot of guilt for having a child with special needs. Mm. And this child is over 20 years old now. And to this day, she still harbors the guilt as if it was her fault for having a child with special needs. And I don't know how you get past that as a mom. Like, how do you, I don't know where to go from there. It's so heavy. I had never even thought about that of carrying the weight of feeling guilty or Mm -hmm. in some way it was your fault, even if you had, you know, absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing to do with it. Um, But I do think it's interesting as moms, we all carry Mm -hmm. guilt for something, for ways we've navigated situations, for things we did when we were pregnant, you know, all those things, we all carry that. Would you guys say that you have a sense of mom guilt over things that have happened with your kids? Mm -hmm. I know with Ricky and I being intentional in choosing the neighborhood we wanted to raise our kids in, um, checking out schools, you know, um, local activities that they can become involved in. And we were intentional about sending our kids to a predominantly white school um, and live in a predominantly white neighborhood because the predominantly black neighborhoods were, um, for lack of better words, not as safe or or unsafe. Uh, The schools weren't as um, funded and the teachers weren't um, as attentive. But fast forward Um, at least two of our kids have come to us and said, you know, we totally get it. We have kids of our own now. We understand why you chose that. But also it took something from us um, to have more of a black experience um, Mm -hmm. as a kid. Um, Although, you know, our, our family uh, super, super blended, but they were probably around more um, white kids than they were black kids. And although, I mean, we knew that was the best decision then and would probably still make that decision now considering the neighborhoods um we feel a sense of guilt uh for that so now we're like all things black (laughs) all things you know (laughs) culture and you know and and um but i'm glad they you know again having kids of their own do you really start to understand the, the sacrifices your parents made um but they understand some of it but to hear um how they felt um, being removed from that a, a few times, my daughter would get picked on for, you know, not being black enough or being too white because again, in our neighborhood, you know, a kid would hear, Oh, you live in that neighborhood. How come you don't live in this neighborhood? That was, you know, more, uh, uh predominantly, um, families of color. So yeah, we've definitely experienced that, you know, for the most part, I was a perfect parent though. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just a few Obviously. things. Yeah. <laughs> Just a few things. <laughs> How about you, Leanna? 
Yeah, I um in in similar to you, Janella, about three years ago, um, as a result of just a lot of tumultuous circumstances, um, and also some desire we relocated from the West Coast to the East Coast. And my kids, my twins were going into the fourth grade and my youngest was going into first grade. And I think it was the hardest decision I've probably ever made as an adult and certainly the hardest decision I've ever made as a parent to willfully remove them from their nest Mm -hmm. and build a new nest. And not you don't know um, the implications of that decision. And I carried a lot of guilt around... Um, disrupting their sense of safety and their sense of community. And we were moving closer to family. And I believe the benefits of that in the long run would outweigh staying where we were, but it was hard. And it was hard to watch them have to go through those adjustments and know, knowing that like you caused it mm-hmm. or you you created that disruption in their mm-hmm. life. And the circumstances are certainly bigger than that. But um, yeah, I have, um, I have felt that where you you don't know how much of a responsibility to take or not to take, right? And you trust that you are making the the very best decision you can for them at the time, but it's it's always hard to know how that's going to ultimately end up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't that crazy that the decisions for the good, for the better, come with so much guilt? Mm -hmm. I think that's wild. It is wild. We know it's for the good. We know it's for the best. And down the road, you're going to know and you're still going to potentially make the same mm-hmm. decision as mm-hmm. you said, Janella. I, I, yeah. And sure. there's still guilt attached mm-hmm. to it. Right. Yeah. Right. I also think it's interesting looking back on my own parents, like the things that they have guilt about, you know, I've talked to my mom and she feels guilty about stuff. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, please <laughs> do not feel guilty yeah. about that. Like yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, I don't even remember go. when that mm-hmm. happened. <laughs> so it's interesting to look back or things she has guilt on. I think are hilarious. And it's like my favorite story to tell. Like what? Um, <laughs> let's see. Share, well, we share. always say that we were raised by wolves because my parents <laughs> literally, it, we were like on our own. We could like, go out on the weekends and like walk miles away. And my parents were like, don't come back until you have an adventure. I mean, they were, Mm -hmm. some of the stories I can't really tell, honestly. (laughs) Um, But we just had, yeah, my parents let us do a lot of things. Um, And my mom feels guilty about that now, but we had a great childhood, but it was interesting. I was traveling last weekend with my friend Andrea and we were sitting at the airport, just chit chatting. And she's like, what? what are some of your biggest regrets? Which is essentially, you know, what are the things that you feel guilty Mm -hmm. about? And mm. one of mine was, I mean, I, it was like immediately I listed off 20 things. I'm wow. like this, 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 wow. this, this, which is interesting that it's that top of mind, mm-hmm. first of mm-hmm. all. But one of the things that I feel really, really guilty as about. As a parent? And, yeah, as a okay. parent. Okay. Well, the, her question was more general, yeah. but what I recognized was a lot of my answers were related to Mm. my parenting. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've actually apologized to my kids for recently, I feel a tremendous amount of guilt um, by how much I worked when they were little Mm. and how focused on work I was when they were little. Um, And I think some of the choices that they have made are because of how much or how I was present in body, but not present in Mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. 
So I have a tremendous amount of guilt mm. about that. And they're fine. Yeah, like yeah, again, yeah. Yeah. they they say the same yeah. thing that I say to my mom, right? Like, it's oh my fine. gosh, mom, we, yeah. we didn't even notice. Yeah. Now what you should feel guilty about is- Right. <laughs> <laughs> have your kids said anything to you? Like, man, this really wounded me. Like I'm so, I'm always thinking about, are my kids gonna end up in therapy? Yes. And what are they gonna right. be telling their therapist that I yeah. said or did that wounded them? Um, Devonay, about three years ago, um, and it, it was interesting how I processed this. She said, I'm going to get a therapist. And I instantly was like, oh my God, what did we do? Yeah, <laughs> Like, right? what did we do? And she's like, it has nothing to do with you. Like it's dating. I, you know, how I feel about myself. And I'm like, but we should have encouraged, you know, mm-hmm. your self-esteem and your confidence and who you are and you're beautiful and you're strong. She's like, mom, chill. <laughs> <laughs> but immediately I was like, what a therapist, you know, you're, what have you experienced that you need a therapist for, you know? And of course sat down with her and you know, you can tell me anything. Did something happen? Right. <laughs> um, right. So I was trying to put guilt where there shouldn't have been any, you know, which I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can, so my mom, most evenings, my dad got off work late or he traveled a lot. My mom had her own adoption business. And so she was always working. And I don't know if you guys can remember, remember back to the our Mother's Day episode. I am beyond proud of my mom in such a way that like, I can't hold back tears whenever I talk about what she's done. And so there was never a moment where I was thinking, I wish my mom would spend more time with me. It was always, I am so proud of the people she fought for. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. Mandy, I know that you have dedicated your life to ministry and women in particular at this time. And I'm going to let you know that your kids are going to be so mm-hmm. proud of what you've made your mm-hmm. life be. You're going to make me cry. It's fine. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. It will take life experiences on their own and, and their own um, wisdom increase of like, wow, our mom, because of the ripple effect of mm-hmm. what you're doing with mops and it automatically affecting families and the communities and the neighborhoods and their best friends and their marriages and, and, a couple didn't get divorced because of you. So your kids are fine. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But I get that Mandy. It's hard to feel this. Like we should feel a tremendous amount of responsibility as mothers. We talk about it all the time on the show, the power that mothers have. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. also how we have to hold that power with open hands because we can't, we can't bear the responsibility of every last thing that happens to them. But that's like, it's hard, right? To like know that you're really responsible for their forming, but you're also they belong to God, not you. So it's, that's, a, that's a tough balance to hold as yeah. mothers. Mm-hmm. Especially our kids, man. Right. Heck yeah. I mean, anyone else, I'm like, oh, you're fine. But you're yeah. tilting right. that <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, I'm releasing them into this world. Yeah. that's gonna, you know, are they going to love them? Are they going to appreciate them? And so, yeah, that's, that's automatic guilt. But it's Heart interesting tension. that the ones that came up were related to your kids. Absolutely. Like yeah. those were mm-hmm. top of mind yeah. immediately. Joe's Joe's fine. Oh, we've had this conversation before. (laughs) And I'm like, man, I feel guilty about this and this and this. He's like, what? Why do you feel guilty? I'm like, you don't have any guilt. He's like, no, we're fine. We're really good parents. He's like, (laughs) hey, I love that. That's right. Man after my own heart. We're fine. If you end up on a couch with a therapist, those are your issues. Okay. Because I was a good parent. Um, Matt, do you have like dad guilt or are you like Joe? And you're like, we're totally fine. Everything's good. 
Uh, I would, I don't know. Cause so my oldest is five, so I don't feel like I have enough years to assimilate guilt, sure, if you will. Sure, sure. Uh, we've, we've had, uh, we're just beyond blessed. I I'm in that stage, especially now with a newborn that I check on them every night and like, I just can't help but smile and just counting blessings sounds so lame, but legitimately every night, whenever I go and check on them, I'm just like, praising God. Mm -hmm. r r truthfully, I am because mm -hmm. despite hard things and schedules and I can't be there for stuff and I used to travel all the time and all of that, like I just, it, it never overwhelms the fact of we are beyond blessed with mm -hmm. what we have. Mm -hmm. Like it can never, the guilt can never overcome that for me. And so, which I don't, I don't know if that's just a guy or a dad thing, but I, I can't overlook the blessings in all of that. Mm -hmm. It's, mm -hmm. and I won't allow it to, like it has mm -hmm. to overcome that because otherwise I'm just going to drive myself. It's like insane. I'm, I, I have to put that like mental block for yeah. myself yeah. in that. And gratitude's always better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Why do we do that though? It's a, I, you know, I, I can't think of a parent that hasn't done it in my life where you're like, I want my kids to have better than I had or, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like we're almost setting us, setting up ourselves and setting up our kids um, when we do that. But it may be also so we don't feel guilty. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. My dad tells me that all the time. Yeah. He's, he's like, the, what every parent wants is for them to have better than what they did. Yeah. Like that is yeah. the, he's told me that's the ultimate goal of parenting mm -hmm. with each generation for at least him. But I also mm -hmm. believe that that's probably true of my, like all you want is better than what you had. Yeah. Right. And I don't, I don't know how you navigate that because the reality is that's not always going to happen. Right. Right. And we, which is why we chose the neighborhood and schools we chose. Um, I, this is one thing I do. Our kids are older. So um, you guys still with kids at home. Um, we did this consistently about once a year, maybe twice a year, we would sit our kids down and say, what can we do better as parents? Hmm. Um, and we started around five or seven years old. Um, and I, we even do that as husband and husband and wife, you know, what can I do better? What am I doing too much of? What do you need? How can I support you better? Our kids were always, the answers were always, you know, some silly, like, could you buy a better cereal? Could you <laughs> leave the light on in the hall when you go to bed? Um, do we have to pray every night? Do we have to read a story every night? Or, but it was literally a fast forward, their love languages, spend more time with me. Hmm. You know, um, I, you know, I like gifts, you know, whatever that is, touch me more, hug me more, love me more. Um, so I, it's probably why I don't have a ton of guilt because I did check in often. Mm -hmm. Like that's a powerful question. Yeah, it is. We did it all the time, it and really sometimes is. that you know we were like, oh dang, you know, let's let's pull back on you know when you know they would come in and we were always from school. What was your high today? What was your low today? You know, how will you? How do you want to end your day? We would have these conversations over the dining room table, um, and sometimes you know we we were very good about age appropriate conversations but sometimes we would go a little deep and um i remember one time one of the boys said uh yeah i think i'm too young to talk about that and we were like normally it's the other way around right like oh i want to know more and we're yeah. like no wait until you're older so sometimes they would stop us like yeah i don't, don't want to know i don't want to know mama meetups are your instant connection to community mom friends at your fingertips it's not a netflix binge or the eternal scroll you need 
It's holding space with other moms to feel your best self. Stay in your tired yoga pants or dial in on your commute home from work. Bring your good, bad, and ugly. We want it all because there's a group of moms who get you and need you. They'll bring you back into the light of God's goodness and remind you that you are never alone. It's time to log back into the abundant life because it's the one you deserve. Find your community today at www.mops.org slash mama meetups. So I think I talked to my sister and um, she has a 13-year-old, my nephew, who is on the autism spectrum. And I was just asking her in preparation for this conversation, like, just what has this been like for you, Laura? You know, and, and she and I do life together every day, but it's really interesting to stop and ask someone that you love and that you do life with intentional questions around, like, what has this actually been like for you? And um, how can I support you better? And she said, you know, one of the hardest things for her, and I never really knew this, was um, facing a diagnosis that they had a sense that they needed some support with their son. But um, she was afraid, and she said it this way, that quote unquote, her world would end Mm -hmm. if she had a child who was diagnosed with autism. And she said, but actually it's been the opposite. And so she kind of put off getting support and help because she was afraid of a label or a diagnosis. And she said, actually, when they did get their diagnosis, that led to a lot of support, help, learning, education. Mm -hmm. And it actually, I remember at the time, it helped us as a family come alongside her and my nephew in more intentional ways because we had a better sense of what was going on. And so I thought that was really helpful that Mm -hmm. perhaps... I would feel the same way that I don't really want to know I, I because that makes it more real maybe. Mm-hmm. And yet knowing is a gateway to support and help and clarity. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a an interesting perspective. Absolutely. And then um, one of the other things she said that was really important, I thought, was that not all disabilities are visible, that we often can see children or adults with disabilities and we see them and it's clear on their bodies. But like, if you were to meet my nephew, you would not mm-hmm. see anything. And then you, if you started to have a conversation with him, you might realize, oh, he has kind of a different way of engaging or his speech has a little bit different pattern. You would start noticing things immediately, but you would never notice by looking at him. And so to be aware that we really don't know, we really don't know mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. um, what challenges any of us are facing or what special needs, quote unquote, any of us have just by looking. And I thought that was really important. Um, And then one of the last things she said, which was really tender to me, is she said with some of the first meetings that they were in with um, school uh, support providers for uh, my nephew, she said she cried through every single meeting. It was just the reality of um, not knowing exactly what this phrase autism was going to imply in his life going forward and his education. And she was overwhelmed and she cried through every meeting. And she Mm -hmm. said it. she was, she in retrospect is so grateful to all of the practitioners who sat with her patiently and lovingly and encouraged her that this was a beginning and not an end and that they were there to help and support and create some positivity out of that. And I thought that was really tender that there are so many people in the trenches Uh, working to love and help and that these parents are going through their own process of trying to straighten out what this means. And it's hard. It's hard and it's fragile. And so Kristen, she's worked with several kids with special needs just through therapy and um, making sure that they're mentally developing and playing games. And it's incredible just in 10 years, how much is accessible that 
10, 20 years ago, whenever you had kids with disabilities, they didn't know what to do. There, there weren't mm -hmm. services. There, was, there wasn't proper research. There wasn't techniques in order for them to be high-functioning adults that can actually give back to society. And there are so many resources now that it's just, it's opened up the world to people that probably felt like they didn't have access to it. Mm -hmm. Like they huh. didn't have a chance. And now I think that they do. Yeah. And huh. um, I think that it's our responsibility to come alongside them and help them in that journey. Yeah. Just, yeah, just I, like anything else that we do, we don't need to do it alone. Right. And that goes, that goes for special needs absolutely as well. I have 100% seen that modeled in my own family, Matt, and it's changed things. Every Thursday night, my mom takes my nephew. Every single Thursday night, without exception, he goes to her house. They have their shows they watch. He gets to choose what they eat. Sometimes they go out and get it. Oftentimes, they'll fix it together. And my mom is educated herself and um, helping my nephew, helping my sister, but specifically helping my nephew gain life skills that take a long time to teach. That sometimes my sister working full-time and having another child at home, it's hard. It's really mm -hmm. hard to do all these things and give him the attention he needs. Mm -hmm. And my mom is absolutely incredible in her patience and what she's teaching him, how to go get the mail um, from the mailbox, how to lock and unlock the doors, how to make a grilled cheese sandwich safely, uh, how to take the trash into the trash bin in her apartment complex. And she they just plot along together mm. like this precious old married couple. <laughs> they, you know, and and yet the the life skills that she's been able to teach him, yesterday we were all traveling together and they she takes moments to teach him about um, going through security at the airport, where to find your gate, how to read what's on your ticket. And it takes a village. I mean, that's an mm -hmm. overused statement, mm -hmm. but that kind of support and help. And and my sister, we're all privileged to have a family that is is able to provide that for each other. But I think about, my mom took that upon herself and realized I can teach him some things that would be mm -hmm. super helpful overall in his life. And she's doing it. And it's been so cool to witness the joy that that's brought to both wow. of them, you know, yeah. to my nephew and to my mom. What a special relationship they have. And generationally, I love that so, so Absolutely. much. Heck yeah. Yep. <clears throat> that's invaluable. And well, the, and she's trying to navigate the airport. She's at, she's mm -hmm. almost 78 and she's not as sure-footed as she used to be. Mm -hmm. And he puts his arm out. Aww. You know, he's a 13-year-old oh guy mm -hmm. and he puts his arm out and helps her through the airport. So and so there's a great mutuality there yes. of care and yeah. love. And yeah. that has just been a tremendous um, gift to our family. I love that. The amount of joy that they bring. My aunt, she passed away, um, I think a year and a half ago. And her family has a special needs son. Mm -hmm. And he, I think he's, I want to say he's 14 or 15. And so my dad, obviously that was his sister. And so he came to take care of her um, in the last few weeks before she passed. And what he really got to do is he got to experience Jaden, who's, mm -hmm. that's his name. And coming out of that, he's told me several times, you know what, son, they only live an hour and a half away. I will never miss a birthday again. Mm. Like he bonded so yeah. much to him yeah. and was able to do um, just the life skills, like what Leanne is saying, but then just to experience the joy of someone like that, it, it kind of revitalized my dad in a lot of ways. Wow. Mm. Like he, yep. he started to work out a little bit more because he wanted to be able to keep up with him. I love that. And so <laughs> he just, it's like, man, yeah. I can't, 
I know that Jaden has experienced so much love mm-hmm. and so much growth from my dad, mm-hmm. but it's also just changed the perspective for my dad. And it's just fun. It's just fun to see that. I wish in, in more circumstances we can look past the fear of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. and, and yep. see the joy. Right. Uh, we have a, a nephew I shared um, with you guys, Aiden, he's a hoot. I also just laugh at him all the time. He always wants to touch my hair, touch my skin. You know, people are looking at us. I'm like, am I a monkey? Like, I mean, I'm just like, Aiden, is there something in my hair? You know, he's like, how, so how did you, what did you do with your hair? Like I enjoy him so much. There's an innocence. Yeah. Yeah. But but I have asked his mom, like, you know, are there special things we need to have for him or, do for him and she's like thanks for asking he's fine he'll you know he's got to get in where everyone else is getting in you know she's as a real uh chill personality personality about parenting him parenting him but he's he's just funny he's fun and and I like how you put it Leanna he's also just going through transitioning yeah you know I mean he didn't have any hair on his face two years ago and now his face is full of hair and I'm like, what is happening? You know, that he is becoming a man, you know, he's becoming Mm -hmm. a young man. Um, but he's, he's also just fun. I, 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 I pray that for just human beings. We, and that's just in relationships in general that we see past, you know, our differences. That's such a, it's such a wall. It's such Mm -hmm. a wall and we can't open up and we can't truly and authentically love each other because we're scared. I think that's why I love this conversation that we had with Heather so much is she really um, creates a space where we can consider how as moms, we can do that same mm-hmm. thing for other moms. Mm-hmm. We can sit yes. with them and help them and walk them through just even being present as they're navigating, you know, diagnoses and different challenges that come with just motherhood mm-hmm. and the guilt that yes. comes with all of that as well. So this conversation is a real gift and I'm excited for everyone to hear from Heather. Mm-hmm. All right. We are thrilled today to have Heather Avis with us. She's the founder and chief visionary officer at the lucky few, a social awareness brand on a mission to shift the down syndrome narrative. She's an author, speaker, co-host of the lucky few podcast and a mom of three. Heather, we're so thrilled to get to talk with you today. Thank you. I'm really thrilled to be here with you guys. Okay, so for everyone listening who might not have encountered you, whether through your book or blog or on social, will you tell us a little bit about your family and your path to motherhood? Yes, I will. Um, I'm married to a man named Josh. He's the love of my life. He is, We've been married almost 19, 18 years, 18 or 19. <laughs> Somewhere around Somewhere there. Yeah. there. Um, and we have three kids. My oldest is 12, Mason, a girl, Mason. She'll be 13 soon. Lord have mercy. Um, adolescence is like, oh, uh, there's no words, just noises. <laughs> just noises. <laughs> um, and then I have a middle daughter, Truly, who's 10 and a son, August, who's seven. Um, all of my kids came to us through adoption. Two of my kids have Down syndrome. My husband and I are both Caucasian our two kids with Down syndrome are Caucasian and our middle daughter is African-American and Guatemalan. So we are a um, transracial multi-ability adoptive family. And it sounds complicated, but we're really just a family <laughs> like anybody mm-hmm. else. Um, we live in Southern California and that's, that's it in a nutshell. 
So awesome. I love seeing your social and following you guys and watching the incredible work that you all are doing. Um, I'm guessing though, that your path to motherhood has been full of some unexpected turns. And yeah. so I'm curious, what did you need to hold on to and what did you need to let go of as you've walked the path of raising three kids? Yeah. Um, stepping into motherhood was a lot of letting go of. And then my entire journey, which I think is pretty true for motherhood, is just um, uh, holding on to and letting go of every day. There's different things to hold on to and let go of. And that's constantly changing. I So I wanted to have children naturally. I wasn't planning on adopting initially. And my husband and I got married really young. I was 20 when we got married. And so around 24, we thought we'd start a family and it just didn't happen for us. And so I have like a mysterious undiagnosed infertility. Like they don't know why necessarily there's lots of different possibilities. And it was about a year and a half, two year process to figure that out. And it was brutal. Um, so that was the first thing I had to figure out and let go of was this idea of what, how motherhood would find me. And that's just not how it worked. And so then that led us towards the path uh, on the path towards adoption. And on that path, I still was trying to hold on tight to what, how I, how I, what I could control, you know? So, um, I consider myself a recovering control freak or I'm in recovery constantly mm. in that regard, but I was holding so tight to how I was going to become a mother, how I was going to find motherhood. And I was desperate to be a mom. I was just desperate for it. So even starting down the path of adoption, I had let go of this dream of having being pregnant and nursing. And my parents were birth instructors um, when I was younger for the Bradley method. So that's like all natural. I have these like childhood memories of, mm. you know, men and women in our living room circles, just breathing through whatever, like figuring <laughs> out how to have a child naturally. And so I was just like this birth junkie on top of all that. So I had let go of all that. And then we start down the path towards adoption and we find out that there's a little girl with Down syndrome and a congenital heart defect and later learned she was on oxygen and had this lung condition that was incredibly serious. And so while I was trying to control and hold tight to even the child I would receive or say yes to in an adoption plan, um, God had other plans and continued to mm -hmm. send us down this path toward this little girl with Down syndrome, who at the time we learned about her, the Down syndrome diagnosis was a back burner issue. She was really, really sick. So it was just like, okay, I want this. And then having to let go of what I thought was best for my life. Um, and like I said, that is happening today, you know, 13, almost 13 years into motherhood. I am continuing to think I, I need or want or must have my motherhood be a certain way. And then enter mm -hmm. like, I don't know, COVID and you got to let go of all of that. So right. True. Yeah. Well, what would you say to a mom right now who's facing something unexpected in her motherhood journey? I mean, I would say um, to lean into it. You know, the hard, the tighter I held on to fighting against what wasn't my plan or my expectations, the harder it was. I say that, but I also say that with a lot of grace. Like I had to learn it myself. So even in the midst of it, if a mom said to me, lean into it, you know, like trust the process. I'm like, oh, forget you. That's the worst. I just want to be mad or sad. And also that's fine. Be mad and sad and feel the feelings. But 
there is like whatever it is that you're holding on to that is not coming to fruition, that is breaking your heart. There's another side to it. You will get there. You will get to that other side and God's grace is before you and beside you and behind you and all of it. Um, but it's going to be your own process. You know, it's got to, it's got to be your journey. And I'm sorry that it's hard. Yeah. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I really do. Um, well, I'm curious, Heather, what was this like for you and Josh? Like, did this bring you guys closer? That's a lot of stress on a marriage and it's not just unexpected path for you. I'm sure it was a very unexpected path for him. You guys are trying to navigate this together. What was that like on your marriage? Um, I feel really grateful that it did bring us together and we, we somehow found ourselves and I think by God's grace in this rhythm of, I would be like, we can't do this. This is, this is wild. Who says yes to this kind of an adoption plan or whatever the circumstances were. And he'd be like, we got this, you know, like we've got this. And then he would be like, we can't do this. Oh my gosh, this is wild. And I'd be cool, collected. Mm-hmm. We got this. So we have found ourselves in that rhythm quite often. Um, we're both um, like helpful people. So we're, we're both very aware of the other in our lives. And I think that that just being like hyper aware of the other person's needs and feelings and emotions helped us navigate that season. And, but yeah, I'm really grateful for God's grace and that we, it kept us strong um, and really made us stronger as a couple. Heather, what would you say um, as a church, what can we do better? Even mops groups, right? Just friends, family, um, I was reading also through your Instagram posts and I will say honestly and authentically, um, I feel like the helper. How can I help? I have, um, dear friends who have a child with, with down syndrome and I always feel like I want to help. And, but is that the right thing to do? Is that the wrong thing to do as a church, as a whole, what can we do better? Oh gosh, this could be like a 10 part series mm-hmm. and each series is five hours long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, first, I would say there is a new book that came out this year called Disability in the Church by a man named Lamar Hendrick. Um, he is a black autistic man and he is a pastor and it is unbelievable. And I want every church person to read this book. Um that is what I would say is read this book. It's all the things on my heart and mind. But if you're not going to read the book, um, I think being aware of who is missing in the space, this is a similar conversation when it comes to race or gender, you know, who is missing in the space. Absolutely. And if disability is not in your space, that is a red flag mm-hmm. that the wholeness of God is missing in your life. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? And that's the tricky question because there's not a checklist like do A through A through F and you will have disability in your space. That's just not how it works. Um, it's so complicated and can go, again, it's, it's similar to the race conversation, although both are very much separate and have their own identities and journeys. But it's like, you can go back historically. How has disability been represented historically in our nation? That's affecting where we are today as a church, you know? And we can look at what kind of laws are in place. So there's a lot of education Mm -hmm. that can be done. But I think what I want to say to moms is um, there's a real 
heart issue. And what I mean by that is when you think of disability, is your first instinct that it's a negative lean towards the thought of disability? And if that's the case, then there's just a lot of misunderstanding Mm. about what disability means. And that misunderstanding is probably because of lack of proximity and lack of relationship too. And so if there's not a person that you can be in relationship with who has a disability, um, look at what Instagram accounts you're following And are you following Instagram accounts run by people with disability or by disabled people who are proud of their disability and who are advocating for disability? Um, Not just moms like me, you know, you need to be following disabled people. Are you reading books by disabled people? Are you watching shows with characters who are disabled, you know, um, Mm. and are you having conversations with your kids about disability that are in a positive light? Because our kids are are our greatest teachers, right? They're mm-hmm. so um, intuitive and they're so innocent in their question asking. And so if they see a disabled person, they're probably going to have a question. So then invite those questions, right? Um, one thing that we talk about in our home is just differences and embracing diff- our differences. And we talk a lot in our work and in our home about shifting narratives. And there's this negative narrative attached to difference. And you can think about when you were an adolescent or a child and you think, I felt different. There's usually a negative feeling attached yes. to that. Mm-hmm. So let's shift that towards everybody's different. You're different. I'm different. Let's embrace and celebrate those differences. And if we can create, we, we talk about in our home, like a foundation of of different Um where some like a child, one of my kids, I'll give a quick story. Like one, my daughter, truly my middle daughter, we talk about difference in our home all the time with all of our kids. And like, when someone feels different, we point that out and like, why does that make you feel bad? And let's talk that through. And this is actually what, how God created you. And that difference that you see in yourself and in others is a part of, as every human is an image bearer of God. That means that we get to learn something about God through the things that are different about ourselves. So anyways, we've created that foundation in our home. So one, there was a, a day when True was like probably three and we were at church and a man walks by and he had a port stained wine mark on his face. So half his face was like a purple color and, you know, she's three and he, she looks at him, she points, of course, and she goes, what's wrong with his face? And he hears it and, you know, it's like, oh, honey, he's just different. Remember, everybody's different. That's what makes us all amazing. And she's like, yeah. And that's that's all I had to say in that moment because that foundation had been laid in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm obviously saying a lot of things, oh, <laughs> a lot of things so here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious, as far as playdates go, how do we as moms create an atmosphere in our home where our kids can invite anyone in their classroom over and it's a safe place and other moms feel good about maybe their kids coming over to our home, even if they have different abilities or, you know, things like that. How do we cultivate that safe space? Um, I mean, the first thing is ask, ask and invite. That is like, I will just say with my daughter, who's 13, she, or I'm sorry, she's 12, I'm 13, has Down syndrome. Um, I'm desperate for parents to just say, hey, we'd love to have Macy over. And and then see what happens, right? So invite them and then be ready for what for the unexpected. Embrace the unexpected that will occur in that play date. And maybe the play date goes exactly like it. It's fine. Most likely at the end of the day, everything played out just fine. 
Um, I would just encourage you as the mom or the parent, the parent or guardian to say to the parent or guardian of the child with a disability, Hey, is there anything I need to know that could help make this play date Mm -hmm. um, successful? Are there any, any kind of um, supports that we could have in place? And, and if that mom says no, then okay. And then I would just encourage you as things come up to talk to the parents, to the caregiver, you know, like, Hey, this situation happened. I wasn't sure how to handle it. Can you help me have, can you give me some tools for next time? Um, and all of those conversations are uncomfortable every time. And that's just what it is, you know? And, and I think the more you have them, the less uncomfortable they get. But um, I know as a mom to two kids with disabilities, I'm real anxious for those conversations with other parents and, and hopeful that when we are invited to spaces, you know, when those conversations happen, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So helpful, so practical. And really it's it's um the parallel of race and disability is remarkable to me. Um there's so much that is out of your control, out of the person's control. To me the lesson falls on the the witness. The lesson falls on us, the church, the the believer, mm-hmm. the the person. It's not even the person with a disability. It's not the, the, the person of color. It's not, you know what I mean? So I feel like it's more, I listen also with the parenting, it is more normal than we make it out to be right. Especially yeah. going, you going into preteen. I, my daughter is now 30 and I can give you 20 things now that you need to get yourself ready for <laughs> no matter her ability or disability. It's like, Oh boy, you're going into, you know, those teen years and preteen years. Um, what, does that just scare you just in general of what does, you know, teen, that teen season, what's it going to look like for you? And you have two girls. Uh, yeah. Boys are, people say boys are easier, but my daughter was pretty. She was easy. The boys drove us crazy. Um, what do you think? Um. Oh gosh. I want to touch real quick on you saying you wanted a different word than different. And then, yeah. and then we can talk about, tell, tell me all the things that you wish you knew when you're, children were going through adolescence. I'll take them all. Um, so I actually have a children's book coming out this year that I titled different, a great thing to be. And I thought about the word a lot and in disability language is, well, language is important for everybody, Mm -hmm. but it's constantly changing in the disability space. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very mindful of language and language is kind of like a river. It's flowing and changing and adjusting to Mm -hmm. over time and culture. And, and so I think it's, um, it's less about different and more about unfamiliarity. Mm-hmm. And so we're afraid of or don't want to be around things that we're unfamiliar with. We're uncomfortable mm-hmm. with unfamiliar. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's kind of a parallel between different and unfamiliar. But what what I want to see happen, and if we start, I believe, and maybe this is a naive belief, but if we're starting with our kids when they're in preschool or from the very beginning of laying that foundation, that different is positive. Um, Mm. then I would hope that we can start to see differences because I don't want there to not be differences. Mm -hmm. I think that's how we understand, how we have a glimpse at the fullness of God's character is because everyone's an image bearer and everyone's so different. So I want to, I want there to be like an embracing of, of that. Mm -hmm. And I just know also that maybe in five years, I'm like, man, I wish I didn't title my book different, but, (laughs) but I don't know who knows how that, how that's going to pan out. Um, and then with, 
adolescent. Should we jump there? Any any comments or about the different conversation? <laughs> I like reframing it as Me positive. Too. I think that's mm-hmm. really, really mm-hmm. helpful. Mm-hmm. That's what? what's so hard. And I do think a lot of those conversations, especially the foundational ones with our kids, are learned around the dinner table. They're learned at two and three and four years old or when they can start to understand words. And so different, especially in school, has such a negative connotation, you know, that everyone has to fall in the same mold, you know. Right. Um, and so when they see something different, and again, that's something we've obviously exampled to them. They wouldn't know any different. So. Sorry, okay. Matt, what were you going to say? Uh, I was watching a, a show the other night and there was an interesting conversation that was happening. And basically it was one guy who held a lot of power and he, and he, and he was basically talking to a person who didn't. Mm-hmm. And he said, you just don't understand. It's complicated. And then the guy that didn't have any power said, good. Mm-hmm. Because the reality mm-hmm. was, I'm glad you feel how complicated mm-hmm. it is because that's been my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I think in, in terms of special needs, yeah, it's different. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. And I think as believers and as the church, we need to step into yeah. what that looks like. We yeah. need to be okay with it being a little complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think that we break down some of those barriers, Heather, with what you're saying, as far as asking questions, just say, mm-hmm. what do I need to do? It's okay to not know. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't think it's okay to not ask. Just talk yeah. about it. The avoidance is worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to all that, Matt. And I, and that's so interesting, the shifting of power. I think that is what is happening in our culture right now. I think, I think so much of the tension is the vulnerable um, are saying to the most powerful there's going to be a shift here mm-hmm. and the most powerful are holding on for dear life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as the church, as people who love Jesus, it's like, have you, have you ever read Jesus? Like right. this is, right. this is what he does, right? He arrives on the scene and it's like, we're going to shift all the power and mm-hmm. it's feels radical. Um, and that's so much in the disability space. Like we have to, if we want to know the fullness of God, we have to know disability. And the only way we're going to do that is if we start to shift our power. And it's not, what's that? There's like this meme that's like, um, it's like about justice. I'm sure you've all seen it. It's on a t-shirt and it's like, it's not pie. What is that? What is that saying? Where, where it's, it's like a social justice idea where it's like equality is not pie. It's not like mm-hmm. we have this pie and you get a slice and you get a slice mm-hmm. and you get a slice. Mm-hmm. Like the shifting of power. It's not like now you have no power. And anyway, it, power is such a weird idea anyways. Like why, right. why do we want power? What are we after here? Especially as Jesus loving people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have a point to all this or just to bring it back around that raising my kids with disability and having more access to the disability space and watching my 12 year old navigate the world for the past 12 years. Um, she enters into a world that questions her value and worth every second of every day, every space we go to, she is seen as less than everywhere we go. And there, I mean, there has to be laws in place for her to have any kind of equal space in this world and laws that aren't being implemented, let alone like forget the heart of humanity towards her. And what I've had as her mom is this honor and privilege to, in my home, to have to shift that power idea, you know, like to 
to be able to see Jesus in her at with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. like every cell in her body purposely being crafted with an extra chromosome for God's glory and goodness and God in that, right? Wow. So I get to I get to witness that every day. And then I just get to say to the world, hey world, you're missing it. Like you're missing it. You're missing on the goodness of humanity and you're miserable because you're missing it. So just take a lesson from Macy and take a lesson from the disability community. And you're only going to be able to do that if you have space for them in your lives. And we're only going to be able to do that if we shift some power around. Um, yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> Heather, you are a gift to humanity. Mm-hmm. Will you let people know where they can find you? Yes. Yeah, so on social media, we are the lucky few official um, on online. We're just the lucky few.com. We have a new project working on to tell stories around Down syndrome called This is Down Syndrome. And uh, we're telling it through the lens of anybody who loves a person with Down syndrome. So we're hoping to create an archive of stories in which everyone can see themselves and relate um, within the narrative of Down syndrome. And that is thisisdownsyndrome.com. Incredible. I checked out your website yesterday and saw that project and I I was in tears. I was so moved Mm -hmm. by what you're doing. It's so beautiful. So everyone go and check that out immediately. Heather, thanks so much. And when is your new book coming out? Um, June 29th. June 29th. All right. It's actually uh, Macy's birthday, which is just a total coincidence. And it's about, it's about a little girl named Macy who's different. (laughs) Oh my goodness. What a beautiful Uh coincidence. Okay, we'll go pre-order the book. Can we pre-order on Amazon? Yeah, everywhere books are sold. Perfect. So to wrap up, we want to remind you that MOPS has short multi-week studies for moms of kids with special needs called Beyond Measure. And it's an online group designed to encourage you and help you find community. You can learn more in the show notes. Thanks for being here with us today. And thanks to our special guest, Heather Avis. We'll see you next week for our final episode of season one. Hey friends, thank you for joining us for Moms Unscripted, a production of Mops International. A quick reminder that opinions discussed are solely the opinions of the individuals and do not necessarily represent the organization. For more information on today's episode, please visit mops.org backslash Moms Unscripted podcast for show notes. And join us again next week for another unscripted conversation around the Mops table.